UX Podcast Episode 80. Welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Pat Axboom. And I'm James Roy Lawson. And we're balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. And today is a link show. It is a link show. And I think we are going to balance business, users, and technology today with our articles. That's true, actually. Mm. <laughs> what <laughs> a true. fluke. Because like, like all the other times, we just lie. Yeah, and exactly. we don't do it at all, do we? <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, so we got three articles lined up for you, and uh, uh, what order are we going to do them? Let's do the one first. Or should we talk about which which all of them are? We can give a little, yeah, yeah a little background. A little background. Um, the first one up is going to be um, everything is broken. Sort of like a doomsday article. Oh, it is. It's scary to read. Actually. Well, it is. But to be honest, I mean, you should pause the podcast now. Go to the links on the, the show notes. And, and well, are, read are, all you, are you seriously telling our listeners to stop listening? <laughs> well, no. Pause. They should pause. Um, and, and, and read all three articles, but, but definitely everything's, everything's broken. Um, but not if you're in your car. Oh, God, no. No. Mm. Well, no, you could pull up. Okay, so you have to pause, <laughs> yeah. pull over, right. get the links from the show notes mm. and read them and mm. then uh, press play again. And then you can yeah. um, to work. Then we've also mm. got um, UX without user research is not UX. Mm-hmm. And the third one up um, towards the end of the show is designers. Stop trying to be so damn clever. Right. And I couldn't agree more. Hmm. Oh, that's it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so in that case, then, should we dive straight into article we number should. one? This is an article that you found quite a while back, actually, James. And uh, I hadn't read it until the last Thursday. And it, yeah, it was pre. It was pre summer, wasn't it? That this mm. one um, came about. It's May, I think. Um, it was written by Quinn Norton. Mm. Um, it's a medium um, post or article or whatever you want to call them. Um, and as you mentioned in the intro, that it's it's a bit of a doomsday article. But um, he's a he's a coder um, and a software developer. And this this article is is full of wonderful um, one liners and analogies and. Um, things that describe just how messed up code is on the back end of stuff, and and all the problems this causes, and a bit you know yeah. why it's like this. And we could just spend the whole podcast just quoting stuff from. The oh article. God, yeah, yeah. I, it, it it dovetails into to what the second half of the article is about. Um, well, national security and your pri- personal privacy, and um, um, and how right. how how. So bad when code when he's saying that. everything is broken, he's talking about the internet, about security, and security online, yeah. I read a little bit here. It, it's hard to explain to regular people how much technology barely works, how much the infrastructure of our lives is held together uh, by the IT equivalent of, well, I suppose, duct tape or glue and string. Computers and computing are broken. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, having worked, having worked in the industry for a, a long time, you, I mean, yeah, you, you know that it, it's true, actually. I mean, we... <laughs> I'm saying to you, uh, I, I, for once, I actually, um, before I updated all my apps in, um, in on my Android tablet um, the other day, mm. I actually bothered to go in and, and read a little bit about the, the details that they'd, they'd added to say what this version update mm. was about. I think every single one it just said, 
bug fixes. Mm. And you have no idea what that bug mm. fix is. How what's behind those words? Yeah. How many how how many r- Russian mafia bosses they kicked out of the mm. the, the network? How many user details actually got stolen yeah. since the last upgrade? Um, just to give you some some sort of hint about how serious this is, this isn't about talking about passwords and password security. Sometimes I go on about you shouldn't have the same password in the, in the same for different services mm. and stuff like that. But what he's saying here is that passwords really don't matter if someone is controlling your computer and has a keylogger who can actually see your screen and see what you're typing. Mm. What, whatever password you have, it doesn't matter. And people now start to think, well, how can someone get control over my computer? That seems silly. Mm. Wouldn't I? Wouldn't I realize that? Wouldn't I know that? Of course you wouldn't. There was one of the examples he was given here was um, um, of somebody who, for a bit of fun wrote a bit um, a bit of code to hack its way into embedded Linux systems. Mm. So this is the kind of software that would run maybe on your your web camera that you've got a network web camera that you know just plugs straight in and mm. it works and all these things that just plug straight in and they work. Mm. You don't need to connect to a computer or anything. Mm. Um, and he, he made this kind of bot network effectively from all these devices and created a, a world map. Um, and basically, this is just stuff. Every, I mean, the whole world lights up anywhere of an internet connection. Mm. It's a bright clump of hack devices that you went in. Mm. He didn't do anything malicious, he says, yeah. but um, he did it as a survey. It was a um, yeah, it, it was kind of just survey to see how, to see how, how easy is it to get in here and, and do mm. stuff and take over control over lots and lots of computers and do stuff with. Them. Yeah, but it's an incredibly mm. we we. We've created something that's incredibly complex. The, mm. This whole internet thing and, and the digital technology and the new technology we have, it's, it, it is incredibly complex. And mm. um, um, uh, I think I'll have a quote here from the article. Um, Your average piece of shit Windows desktop is so complex that no one person on earth really knows what all of it is doing or how. Mm. And this is the case with almost everything that we've, we're dealing with. Like, yeah, you know, you might be expert on the... On, on some you know, interaction design, or you might be um, an expert on front-end coding. Mm. Um, you might even be a, a database expert or a network infrastructure expert. Mm. Um, but you know, there's not there's not one person who understands how all of this works from A to Z. Yeah, there, it's virtually impossible to understand that, and especially now that we're integrating. I mean, you don't a computer nowadays is not just a word processor. Uh, it's something that you do everything on. And you're multitasking. You have different software talking to different other software that s- somebody else created. Mm. And as long as you are talking to something that someone else created, you can't even say that you have any insight into how secure anything is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it could, there could be a worm in there. Well, mm. When I say worm, that means, let's say, virus, whatever. Or bug or yeah. whatever. And, and we also mm. have, I think, mm. with, every, with every handover there is between specialism... Mm. Then you have almost an expectation that the 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 one at the other side mm. knows everything beyond that point. Mm. So so as um, as like a UX designer mm. or or someone working with front end mm. and, and the look and feel maybe of, mm. of an interface, uh, often it's the case that you'll go to the the, the coder, and that in itself is a, like a black box, mm. and you you'll go to them and say, oh, mm. you know, how, does this work for you? Or how was it, is this complicated mm. to do? And you you almost expect them to, to know everything about what goes on from that point onwards. Mm. Whereas in all truth mm. and reality, they probably don't. And yeah. you know, they, they might not even bother explaining to you that they don't because you yourself won't understand maybe mm. the answer they give you when they say that, well, no, mm. just, that, just that version of, of the software which we have on that server mm. to do that thing, I have no idea about. Mm. Uh, okay. <laughs> Can you do this or not? Yeah. <laughs> And we, of course, we also have ourselves to blame when we actually 
buy stuff and install stuff because we don't want to buy stuff anymore. We want it, we want it for free. And uh, recently, I think there was a plugin for WordPress that mm. gave anyone control over your WordPress installation. Yeah. And so, a plugins, plugins for WordPress, it's excellent. They're free. Mm. Uh, I don't have no clue about the person who created this software, but I'm going to download it because it's free. Mm. And I'm going to install it for my client as well because it saves me so much time. And so, basically, if you open like a big gaping void or get hole right into your client's mm-hmm. software. And from there on, you don't know what could happen from there on. You can actually gain access to other systems within the company just yeah. because your WordPress installation is unsafe. Yeah, could well be. Mm. Yeah, depending if you're mm. shared hosting and things. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, you've got your WordPress blog with 40 plus plugins installed because yeah. it does everything you need mm. it to do. But mm. you've got a hell of a nightmare um, keeping all the holes closed. Mm. And that's just that, that's just WordPress blogs. Mm. Um Oh God! No, it's 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 stressfully. He scary. actually point uh, touches on something else that I, I love to talk about as well. Is that most of the world does not have install privileges on the computer they are using, and that's something that's apparent. Oh, yeah, in like, like work, a, yeah. Where where I'm working now with the client I'm working in, this the people mm-hmm. don't can't install software no. on their own computers. So some people are stuck still on. Well, e- some are even stuck on Internet Explorer six, mostly yeah. on seven. Mm. Lots of security issues with that browser. Mm. It's insane that they can't even... People tell them, well, you need to upgrade. Well, I can't because I can't even install software on my own computer. And and the Mm. reasons for not upgrading Mm. in those kind of organizations Mm. can be everything from... Mm. Well, it could be that it's just one bit of business-critical software Mm. left that needs it Mm. and they can't get the sign-off to to make the upgrade. Oh, It's it's incredibly complex. Um, And we keep updating and updating, thinking that, okay, so this time they fixed it, this time they fixed it. We have have no idea. We have no clue whether it's fixed or not. And I I reflect on this sometimes Mm. as well, that we've now spent, what is it, are are we 20... We're twenty years plus in into the Windows desktop world, mm. um, and you know we've it's, we've become really really used to the whole like blue screen of death thing. Mm. I mean, even Macs crash as well. I mean, you've you've had yours hang up on us a few times when we're recording mm. the, the podcast. I mean, things die; they just mm. die inexplicably, inexplicably. Mm. They total death. Mm. And we go, oh damn, I lost my document, mm. or oh, whatever, or I lost a few minutes of mm. audio. Whereas mm. what that what that utter crash means yeah. is that just the code reached a dead end. <laughs> right. Yeah. True. And, and yeah. same kind of thing. Mm. Uh, now it's a new. Real, remember down. Mm. Was it that that Air France airplane um, accident a few years ago? Which, no, Air Canada. I can't remember. There was an airplane mm. thing a few years ago where um, um, the pilots thought they were in in a storm in, in mm. cloud, and the um, the the pilots um, thought they were um, um, they were rising. Mm-hmm. Um, but, if, but so they kept pulling back to kind of you know try and correct this rising kind of or pull pull back to make the nose go down to go yeah. rising. But what happened was though, that the, the altitude sensors had frozen because the altitude they're at and they're going through a storm. Right. So it stopped giving them data. Mm. So the, eventually the computer basically went, I can't fly this plane anymore mm. because I know that this this the data is not making sense to mm. me. So I'm not programmed to do this. Here, you sort it out mm. and throws it back to the humans, mm. who then made loads of bad judgments and ended mm. up crashing the plane into yeah. the sea. Um, but but that was the, the thing there was that the computer basically hit a dead end, mm. and that's a lot of the case with these big crashes that the computer hits some kind of dead end. This stuff comes in and out that mm. I just can't deal with. Exactly. Um, Heartbleed. I wanted to mention that in this yes. as well. I I, mm. I love the the whole heart. Well, I don't love the whole heartbleed mm. thing. That's just a, a horrifically. But it's a perfect example mm. of how broken things are. Oh yeah, um, because for, there's not been a whole lot of discussion about heartbleed after. Because I, I don't it's understand. really damn difficult to explain to normal people. I know, really. but it's so so huge. Actually, does everyone out there know what heartbleed is? 
I can hear the. Uh-huh. I can, can I hear the yeses or the noes? Well, I think there's a whole lot of yeses and a few noes. Um, Heartbleed was uh, a bug that was found in. Um, um, well, basically, how we, how we secure things on the internet. If you see HTTPS, yeah. uh, in your browser address bar, yeah, it was it's it's on every every single web server basically in the world uses this kind of um, technology, and um, a bug was found, um, and the, the bug was. Um, was basically the case where um, a server would um, oh what would you say oh god no the web page just vanished I was going to read the example have you got it from it no I don't but it, basically you can <laughs> you could ask a server for stuff because uh, I, I saw an XKCD cartoon explaining how it worked yeah, that was the one I was just trying to bring up on it yeah. and I, my... so you ask uh, a response uh, for something and uh, Usually the response is uh, four letters. So I ask for a response, get four letters. But if you ask for the response and ask for 256 letters, you get the response, which may be uh, cat, but then it actually yeah, you say, it, it actually presents you with all the data after that exactly. up to 256 characters. So it's basically, and, server, can you send me the word cat, yeah. brackets, 500 letters? Yeah. And the server goes, oh, yeah, I'll send you cat. That's 500 letters. Mm-hmm. And just dumps in its entire memory mm-hmm. into the, the hacker's pocket. Right. And that, that could, contain, it could be nonsense data or it could be passwords. Yeah. You don't know. Well, it's a great example of a mm-hmm. dead end. Mm-hmm. The code, someone out there who was programming just didn't realize that there was a road there <laughs> that went off to the side and it needed mm-hmm. to be closed off. Um, so, and this bug has been around for ages. A long time. Right. So somebody discovered it now. But of course, hackers could have been using this to get into computers for a long time. We don't know. And, it's, and it leaves absolutely no trace whatsoever. Yeah. So there's no way of knowing exactly. whether you've been so, hacked So com- this. companies are saying, oh, we're safe. We weren't hacked. But they have no idea. No. All they can say is that, yeah, we've upgraded this now, so the hole's not there yeah, anymore. Yeah. But they have no idea. Yeah. This, is, this is so... Oh, the Heartbleed thing is just so massive, and mm. um, and because it's not a, it's not attributable. You can't you can't pin your hack down to Heartbleed mm. because of the way that it doesn't mm. leave a, a trace, really. Because right. you can get information from the memory dump, mm. which allows you to come in another way. Yeah, and when you exactly, and all this, how serious is it? Well, it's pretty serious when you start thinking about the same software is be, is being used in hospitals, in governments, in banks, mm. and. With the, right, you, yeah. with the right with the right knowledge, you can actually hack into this stuff without leaving traces, mm. and probably that's what's happening all the time right now. Yeah, the thing about mm. all this technology stuff is that we're we're in a we mentioned this before that we're we're demanding so such a pa- fast pace of going forward. We expect everything is going faster, and we're expecting things to happen faster and faster. Mm. And we we've got such high demands on what we want to achieve, whereas the complexity isn't vanishing from the other end of stuff. Mm. It's, you know, we know it's, it's complex just doing the, the user interface side of things. It's complex complex just launching mm. something, mm. let alone coding it and integrating it and, mm. and then dealing with all the updates. Um, and what the end of this article talks about is, is national security, was mentioned, mm. and also that we're allowing all this to happen, you know, government snooping on our data mm. at the NSA and, and bad software that there and crashes and all the rest mm. of it. We're allowing it to happen because we're not demanding that anything really gets done about it. Yeah, we're, we're we're far too willing to basically let this happen. But again, it's so complex. You don't have enough people with the right knowledge or the right competence to actually fix it all in the different companies. You don't have. I mean, it's crazy complex. You can't. You can't. <clears throat> the thing is that there's no handbrake. There's no lever you can pull to slow this vehicle down to give us chance to get yeah. on top of all this again. So, so should we just accept it and, and everything and, is broken? Yeah. 
and pray that there are enough good people to battle the bad people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. Now, but Quinn, uh, Quinn actually, he thinks it is solvable. Um, uh, he says, oh, "There's some swearing in this. I'm not going to actually use the swearing." Um, so yes, the geeks <laughs> and the executives and the agents and the military. Um, I've screwed the world, but in the end, it's the job of the people working together to unscrew it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's honourable and he's right. But so, so what should we what should we do in our jobs to make this better? Put a, place higher demands on someone. Actually, move stuff that are bug fixes and security issues from the backlog up. Prior, prioritize them. One one line in the um, in the article, although maybe it was one of the comments that was filled in by the side, is that uh, stupid deadlines. Mm-hmm. Are actually one of the the, the big issues here, because mm-hmm. if you had the mm-hmm. time to finish something off, mm-hmm. to think about it properly, mm-hmm. then maybe it wouldn't be as broken. Yeah, but that 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 basically says it's a budget issue. You don't get enough mm-hmm. money and, yeah. and time. Ultimately, it is. So yeah, some time and money. Pay, so, so someone has to understand how complex it is, and of course, that's whoever orders or owns the system, mm-hmm. and they need to take it seriously. Mm-hmm. But again. I don't know how many people actually understand what we've even talked about right now. And uh-huh. is it really that bad? It can't be that bad, what they're saying. But if you really dive into it, you understand how complex it is and how, how serious it is, yeah. these issues. I had lunch with a security mm. expert a while back mm. here in Stockholm. And oh, you just, it's as scary as hell. Mm. But the things he just says, you know, they, the things he's checked for fun. Because mm. you know, these security experts, they're basically hackers, but professional hackers are... Right, find problems for companies mm. to tell mm. them there's problems, and some of the things they can do and do do just to test whether there's holes. Of course, you just you, your stomach turns thinking, mm. I mean, God, and oh, this isn't fixed. You say, oh, oh, there's no point saying anything because then people will realise it's there and it'll cause more of a problem. Because I know <laughs> they're not going to fix it. You know what I mean? They are not that kind of situation. Yeah. It's best to keep quiet <laughs> in some mm. situations. Um, oh God, no, it's incredibly broken. And I, uh, it's so funny. I was actually explaining to my kids how to access a router if people mm. haven't uh, set, uh, reset their password from the mm. default password mm. uh, the other week because mm. I, because they were talking about because I have routers uh, at the country house were you teaching house. them with admin admin logins and yes and exactly 192 yeah. Dot, okay, and I, yeah. so you can just search in google and you find all the passwords for all the different yeah. routers and you uh, I, I don't know why I was showing them but if they, if they don't understand how you, you get access that way they can't <laughs> even solve the problem in the future but yeah. I used the I mean, same thing this weekend as well really like, uh, <laughs> the instructions for yeah. a, a wireless extender mm. I got just, just were wrong. Mm. And I couldn't log in with the details it had. Okay. So I just logged in with the standard stuff as normal and it worked. <laughs> because it's broken. Yeah, because it's broken. Oh, we spent far too much oh, time we have, on this but, uh, but I think it's, uh, oh, no, it's, it's scary and, mm. and I, you know, I don't know what to do, really. Mm. Fix more bugs. <laughs> <laughs> don't make stuff so complex. Mm. Oh, uh, I, I'm on, I have so many quotes from this. I, I want to have uh, or say this one. Uh, Computers have gotten incredibly complex, while people have remained the same gray mud with pretensions of godhood. <laughs> I don't think it's solvable. I, I, in 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 practical terms, I don't think no. we can fix this. I no. think we're just going to get used to stuff being broken more and more, mm-hmm. and. And, and adapting our lives. We're going to adapt because yeah. we're so good, damn good at adapting. Mm. We're going to adapt. We already have the blue screen of death, like I said about. Yeah. It's become a we just yeah a cultural thing. Control, that you, alt, delete. That's that's the first thing my wife asked me when I got her a Mac. Hold, uh, how do I control do control alt delete on a Mac? <laughs> holding down the power button. Yes, that as that, well. That works on everything from our like Bluetooth mm-hmm. speaker that we have 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, when we're out having picnics and stuff, to, to laptop, to TV boxes, to mm-hmm. TVs, press and hold the power button. Oh, almost always solves it. Doesn't throw out the hackers, but at least you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, moving on. Moving on. <laughs> oh, where are we? Second yeah. article is UX without user research is not UX. And this is um, by um, Hua, Hua Loranger. Loranger. Yeah. Now, we're almost certain we've got her name pronunciation wrong. But I, I, to be honest, I think she's got one of those names where I don't think you can say it right unless you meet her and get mm. to say what it actually is. So sorry if we got your name wrong. But um, oh, the article's good and we're going to talk about it. Um, what this article, It's an article on um, um, Nielsen Norman Group um, that came out the other week um, that... Says basically, UX teams are responsible for creating desirable experiences for users, yet many organizations fail to include users in the development process. Without, com- without customer input, organizations risk creating interfaces that fail. Right. So we're back again debating on what UX is. Well, in a sense. In a sense. Yeah. The article, first of all, I think the, the article is, is, is really good. It's, a, it's an excellent um, you know, go-to article about explaining a lot of the, the, of the what is UX things and, and giving you some few tools and tips about how to get on and mm. do some UXing. Um, but um, so, um, but it's, very, it's very preachy. Mm. Um, UX teams and practitioners, practitioners should UX teams and practitioners should strive to create products that users want and need and design them in a way that is easy and joyful for, to use. Mm-hmm. You can't argue against it. Of course not. Not on the surface of it. Mm. It's, it's, it's a great argument in that sense. But what what I I got hung up about on this one a bit um, is is that it, it, in the title and the kind of crux of it is saying that if it's not pure UX, true UX, then you shouldn't call it UX. Right. But who the hell knows what UX means? If you understand what UX is, then... You know, I think you're fair enough using UX. We want you, you on would... the show. If you can tell us what UX is, we want you on the show. <laughs> but yeah. but no, so 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 if you're using the if you're throwing out the phrase, oh, we did, we, I'm a UX researcher or UX something or I'm doing UX. Our organisation's mm-hmm. doing UX. And if you're not really doing UX according to this article, you're not allowed to call it UX. Point, you could arguably call it design. Right. <sighs> so what is research? Define re- user research for me. What is including the user? Mm-hmm. And my question would be then, if I'm reading other people's research, other people's eye-tracking studies, other people's research, like Luke Robluska's book about web forms, am I doing user research or am I just updating myself on best practices? And is that not UX if I'm taking users into account? This article would argue that you're not doing UX because you're not including the actual user. But Until I, I in fact, launch my product and depending on whether or not I actually listen to users then – in a live situation, and actually then iterate and do diff- make changes based on the yeah. feedback I get. Yeah, that sounds all right. But I've done not done UX before, and I suddenly, all of a sudden, I start doing UX because then I take them into account. So, at what point do I, does it actually start being called UX? I mean, that's I mean, it's so hard. Doesn't it? It's, isn't it your intentions with the design that defines whether you're not whether you're doing UX or not? Oh. But I do, I do agree, though. I mean, I of course, the product is going to be better if you actually meet people and talk to them. And even if you let the developers meet and watch the users mm-hmm. using the product and all that stuff. And if interaction designers would actually spend some time talking 20 minutes with a user now and then 
how much better the designs would actually be. Mm. Uh, but then telling those people that until you do that, you're not allowed to call yourself a UX it's designer. It's not helpful. It's yeah. not helpful. Because rather, it's, it's more of a, a question because people come up to me and how, how will I get time to do all that re- user research, research that I want to do? Because they're actually then people, ambassadors of UX and their companies. Mm. They want to do research. I'm the UX guy and I'm not getting the budget and the money and the, and the people who will allow me to do that stuff. But I still want to do it. So until I actually, call it UX so I'm not allowed to, until I get that money from those or that time from my bosses. I'm not allowed to call myself no, a UX it's, person. It's, it's stupid. <laughs> no, these are, I mean, we've had the mm. um, these uh, the UX maturity models. Mm. There's a few of them being bounded around over the last kind of four or five years, mm. um, and and most of them have a kind of scale of, of one to I think one to five, one to six, and it's only it's only at kind of level three in the maturity model that you start doing usability testing right so so levels one and two in the ux maturity model aren't ux mm. and shouldn't be called ux according right. to this article yeah now what that means in reality is is that you are is like you say you're the ambassador inside mm. an organization you're fighting mm. you you understand the article makes sense to you you know you mm. should be doing ux and all mm. the rest of it mm. but your organization isn't there mm. so what do you kind of hide under a table and and avoid the word ux for for like another year or two until you've managed to convince someone to do some user testing and then mm. suddenly you're maturity level three and way now we've done user research now we can let's actually print call, some new business cards now we can be all the you know <laughs> now UX lead or whatever it's nonsense mm. the 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 whole thing about calling it UX is is actually I'd say it's crucial mm. at level at level two in the maturity mm. model when right. the organisation um, is is starting to. Under, hear the phrase, understand a little bit about what it's about, um, but you're still kind of you know having design committees and people are uh, managers are saying, oh, can we have that red button? Then, yeah, then yeah. I think you've got to have the phrase UX in there, or, or at least user centric thinking and, and be able to talk mm. about how important the user is and user research in order to move to the next level. Right. I can't see how it's helpful to square, says, just to get yeah. round and avoid certain terms <laughs> and avoid talking about certain stuff because goddamn, it's not actually UX. Yeah. The article even says that user-centric design needs to be part of the business objectives. I mean, mm. that's what we usually talk about is how UX needs to be part of the mindset of the whole organization. Mm. UX is not a person. UX is something that the that is part of the, how, yeah. how the organization works. Well, yeah, but now, now you're talking about the, the, the top end of the majority model, kind of level five or whatever it is. Where, exactly. But where, where you, you've got a UX culture right. in an organization. But even to have a maturity model, you need to start somewhere. And it's still yeah. UX that's evolving from, from something that's less than perfect to something well, that is more. That's not really UX. But, you know, you've still got mm. to allow the fish to get out of the sea. Yeah, you, ne- you need to actually make the... In order for UX to be to actually be accepted in the organization, you need to be start talking about it, mm. and then make people realize, oh yeah, that sounds good. So we sh- maybe we should try that UX stuff. Mm. It's good that we have a UX person here. Oh, or otherwise it would be like, oh my god, we don't have a UX person. We need to employ someone else. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, you you wouldn't even you, at that stage. You're not even you don't mm. know what UX means, and you're not employing that. You just need mm. some dude to do web stuff, <laughs> whatever it is, interface stuff. But. Now, so so wrapping up a little bit there on this one, that I mean, I I, I think, like I said, the article's good. Um, I agree. User experience cannot exist without users. Mm. Fair enough. Um, creating user interfaces involves intricate and complex decisions. It says here, user research is a tool that can help you achieve your mm. goals. Absolutely, couldn't agree um, more. Um, mm. But yeah, for God's sake, don't 
but it's use, also interesting. Use the, use the phrases and terms to describe what you do mm. that will help you further mm. your cause and your career within UX, if you want to call it that, and your organization. Right. You can't mature an organization without communicating to them about it. Exactly. But I also need to bring up, because I think it's really relevant, that you can actually be doing user research but getting a worse result than if you weren't doing user research. Because the article actually brings up do the right research correctly. Under that heading, it talks about how people do mm. research in the wrong way. Mm. So just doing research really doesn't say that you're doing UX. Because yeah. then that's not the defining variable. The defining variable should be are you getting products out there that are actually well living up to what we would say is a good user experience. And whatever way you do that shouldn't be part of the definition of UX. Oh God! No, I, no, see, I, suddenly now you just don't understand who who who's allowed to call themselves exactly. UXer and UXing and what's UX mm. if you're going to have this kind of strict. Mm. If you're if you right according to the Nielsen Norman Group are doing it, are, are you using the wrong research method or doing it wrong? Then you're not doing UX either. So you, just doing user research not enough. Can we move on to the next article? <laughs> I got worked up about that. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm I'm going to get too worked up as well now if I don't move on. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, the next one is. Uh, oh yeah, probably going to work, get worked about <laughs> about that. Oh one, yeah, no, well. yeah. Oh, this is one you found, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Hey, designers, stop trying to be so damned clever. Uh, this is by Randy J. Hunt. It's on uh, fastcompanydesign.com. Yeah. And he's um, what is it? He's um, uh, UX at um, um, Etsy, creative director. Sorry, oh, okay, at Etsy. Um, uh, author of Product Design for the Web. Right, and th- this is a subject we touched upon uh, a fair few number of times about making your interfaces more fun and enjoyable mm. and putting nice words in there. Mm. Uh, Mailchimp is the most common exp- example it's that everybody use, uses. Yeah. yeah about putting fun stuff into your website. And that sort of is what he's synonymous with what he's, what he's saying here with putting cleverness into your into your website. Uh, Let's read a bit here. Um, des- during the design process, you can easily want to surprise and delight the user. Um, so you create a design element, an interaction mm. pattern, a naming mm. scheme, a symbol, and so on. Mm. That's fresh and extremely inventive. However, the cleverness of your creation obscures the intent of the product. Mm. And and first example, common save button. We've put save on every damn button on this website. Let's put something else on that button. Let's let's put let's do it. And how does that really help the user? But I've seen so many examples of stuff like this over the years. People get well, mostly designers. They get tired of <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again. Mm. And they hear about gamification. They hear about enjoyable user experiences. And a lot of people misinterpret a good user experience as something that I. Actually, is fun and quirky, and new and different. Yes, yeah. and and feel the need to actually put something in there that m- makes it feel like, wow, they're f- they're a fun company. I'm gonna um, buy more stuff from them because they've changed the name on their button to something that I completely don't understand. Mm. I actually have a, an example from uh, let's wow, back in the day when I worked at Ericsson, uh, when you wanted to apply for a job at Ericsson, they had a tab called career opportunities. Mm. Nobody clicked it. Nobody understood what it was. It seemed really like a huge thing, career opportunities. Mm. They changed it to jobs. Yeah. Jobs. Everybody clicked it. 
I mean, they, I mean, it's something like a 300% increase in clicks yeah. on that tab. But don't they can't possibly even measuring. Oh, yeah. Really? Back yes, then, they were yes, measuring. back then, yes, oh, absolutely. Wonderful. Mm. <laughs> on the page, you can measure the page, the yeah, of course. number of visits to the page. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> of course, and that, and that ties into make it something that people understand. You don't have to be clever about it, but you have to ensure, and you have to do the research to understand what will people understand, what what will they feel comfortable clicking, and being quirky and and, and whimsical about uh, stuff in your interface is not like the first thing that you should be thinking about. Unless unless that's something that is coming from the users themselves. They're asking for that, or it's, or it's a part of your brand in a bigger mm. sense. One of, the, um, one of the suggestions here, though, um, is is to basically undesign um, to um, to start off with um, with using standard solutions mm. for things. So, so rather than create a kind of fancy new interaction pattern or, inter- mm. or kind of idea or phrasing, or whatever, right. you you go out there and look what everyone else does, right. and your first iteration is what everyone else does. Mm. You see, ooh, I'm thinking hamburg- I, hamburger menu. Oh, and you see, exactly. And I, <laughs> yeah. I reacted to that bit and thinking, mm. well, I, I kind of understand mm. the point here in that, yeah, it's as far as kind of time invested, mm. then you, you're investing a minimum amount of time mm. because you're just copying what has already been done. Um, but you're making the presumption that what has already been done is correct, mm. um, is completely applicable for your product or, or, or web um, site or solution. Um, not a good foundation for innovation or even uh, perhaps an, a user experience that is that fits no. your users. So, so you, again, you've got to straight away you've got to you've got to commit yourself to um, researching or testing and mm-hmm. being prepared to mm-hmm. change it. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, something more complex, um, but well researched, um, or simple, but just not the same simple as mm-hmm. as what everyone has else has a simple might suit your product or website better. Exactly. So I think there's a little danger there. With I mean, I understand his point, um, but I, I think it's a little danger of, of following standard. And the hamburger menu is yeah, one of those things right. where, yeah. And we, sometimes it is it is right to be clever. It's okay mm, to be clever mm. in oh, the right context. Innovative. Yeah. You could actually say clever is innovation. I mean, right. We, we do need some people to do stuff that's not standard. Um, and he mentions that in the article too. You, you, somebody at some point has to do something new so mm. we can move forward. Mm. Great. But um, ideally, we want you to be researching that and testing it and, mm. and learning. And even Mailchimp, Mailchimp is aware that some people don't really appreciate what they're doing with mm. their with their different speech bubbles. That the monkey pops up and has some <laughs> fun things to share and videos to share. They they actually have a setting that you can choose that get rid gets rid of all the all the quirky mm. language and gets rid of the monkey, so that you actually don't have to care mm. about that stuff. Well, that's, I mean, that's mm. a good thing. To provide mm. for the, the the edge cases, you could say yeah. that are the ones that are going to really really object to mm. it, which are probably going to be a minority. It is probably so going to be a minority, up, but it's so worked up that they want to turn it off. Exactly, but it's a good example of actually realizing that this may be too much for some people. Yeah, mm. another bit I liked here with this, um, he was suggesting that um, um, your usability filter should be turned up um, real high as you design, mm. and that's that's actually really good advice. Are you you know really. Really to sit there. So every design choice you make should be viewed through that strict filter. Mm. Does this choice help the user? Does that choice improve her experience? Mm. Does it throw elements in her path that waste time and energy? If so, the feature is wasting your mm. time and energy. Stay focused on your primary intent. Mm. And that's, that's true and that's excellent. Mm. It ties in a little bit what we talked, in, talked about in the last episode mm. of the podcast. 
uh, with unbundling, yeah, and, and going to, and, and or not or not bundling in the first place, mm. focusing on your your primary goal. What is it your users expect to achieve with what you're doing? Yeah, does this make it complicated? Um, and and that's 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 a fundamental a fundamental fundamental part of usability thinking. Mm. Um, not making it complex. And I would even go so far as to include even accessibility into having an accessibility frame of mind when you're designing because when you change something into quirky buttons and quirky links, then that will confuse yeah. a lot of other people but with cognitive disabilities and people with screen readers that are reading the links and not understanding within the context mm. of where they're supposed to be funny. Mm. Uh, just doesn't compute. You're right. Oh, you're right. Complex mm-hmm. interactions, um, especially ones that are supposedly intuitive that you can learn. There was a whole lot of the articles talking about swiping. Yeah. Um, that you could, you know, just swiping in a certain way is intuitive. Um, there, accessibility issues can really come in. Like you're presuming that certain things are intuitive. Mm. Uh, actually, a good example of something that is a good interaction, but not a lot of people are aware of it, but it's something that's been copied from app to app. It's actually sliding down to refresh the app. Like if you're reading a yeah. Twitter feed, you slide down. If you're reading a Facebook feed, mm. you slide down to refresh it. I don't even remember who started that, but it's something that's something that yeah. does isn't in the way of the user, but it really helps the user if you're aware of it. Mm. But I've been, mm. yeah, God, mm. you, see, you mentioned that, and I've thinking about how I've been. That's been bugging me this last week or two with the fact that a lot of apps have introduced it. Mm. I've noticed this. I've noticed it more, even more, mm. this last few weeks. I think really like Swarm uses it. I think. Mm. Um, I've, I've I've got it on my like, Facebook uses it, um, Twitter uses it, Hootsuite uses it. This is just in my little word, yeah. like, world that I use daily. Um, if this, then that, um, on the mobile yeah. app uses it. And what bugs me there is that they've all got different swipe down timing mechanisms. Yeah, and some and some of them you swipe down and you do it as kind of one natural mm. little flick, mm. natural, yeah, intuitive, natural, <laughs> and and it doesn't trigger it. Exactly. You it, have to do it. Do you it have to pull it down. Almost, yeah. Pull it down. Wait for the timer to start, and then drop it. But some of them, mm. they don't communicate properly that it's not synced, not mm. reloaded. Mm. You just flick like you do on all the other on mm. another app that maybe mm. use more. So, so, oh, so even that has its complexity. Something that maybe I know. You, you think looks on yeah. paper on your on your design suggestion that you've put into the backlog or whatever. Mm. It kind of sounds simple, sounds mm. standard, um, but in implementation, mm. you, maybe you've created a monster. I love that because that's an excellent example of how milliseconds can make a difference in the experience of mm. a product and communication. Mm. That they don't they don't communicate mm. maybe in an obvious way what is happening with the interface. Yeah. Oh, you didn't pull down long mm. enough and hold it, mm. so I'm not reloading. Yeah, exactly. Uh, some of them are forgetting <laughs> to tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Uh, there's nothing else I want to add. I'm 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 over with ranting about this one. Yeah. I think. <laughs> Um, I think so. So well, then you can conclude there that um, is clever ever good. Is one of the questions mm-hmm. that um, Randy poses at the mm-hmm. end. Um, and yeah, uh, clever is sometimes good. Like we said about that, mm-hmm. a novel interaction um, might be the the seed that inspires an entire class or generation, mm-hmm. or, or or you know, move forward, a great mm-hmm. leap forward in what we're doing. He actually has a really good point here. When all of the nuts and bolts uh, that execute the design are in place, and that's what we usually talk about when we talk Mm. about uh, not having the design before the content and stuff like that. Uh, This is a... Mm. Excuse my French. This is a fucking web page. Oh, you're swearing. This is a .com. It's a website. It's a website. I'm not Mm. swearing. 
<laughs> and uh, you start with the content, and then the pictures and images that you add has to support the content. And this is the same way. And once you get that right, you can actually start adding some personality into the website. But yeah, it's like you were saying, you have to have the usability frame of mind mm-hmm. when designing. If you have everything in place, that's when you can start getting a bit more crazy. Mm-hmm. When you have enough to know that it actually works in, in the basic sense of that. Mm. Uh, and then actually add, start adding the other stuff. Still supporting mm. the basic content that you want people to access. This is nice. Mm. We've gone all the way around now to complexity again. Like yes, we, we have. Off with right. the programming. That, yeah. You know, things are incredibly mm. complex. Mm. And, and this, is actually, this is actually why a lot of the time I, I, I shudder at the idea that we redesign things so often. Mm. Yes. It's too easy mm. to redesign. But in fact, mm. it's incredibly complex, and you're you're doing a lot of changes that impact your users' world. Instead of tweaking what you already have, researching, yeah. testing, and tweaking. We've talked about this for years and years, we and have. still, still, we're thrown into projects. Oh my god, we need to redesign our website. Mm. Well, hopefully, yes, thrown a new CMS there as well. <laughs> oh, you need content. We don't have the content yet. We'll have it the last week uh, before right. launching. Uh, right, listeners, I'm going to pull a plug <laughs> on him before he gets um, completely overloaded here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! So, um, thank you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. And um, you can get in touch with us really easily. Um, everywhere, we're everywhere. Just search for UX Podcast. Send us an email: uxpodcast at uxpodcast dot com. Yep. People, have, people have started doing that. I love that they have done, and we've had some really good emails, yeah. and it's excellent to listen, to read them. And we do reply always. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, yeah, we do reply. We always. do, of course, we reply. Yeah. It's not like we have thousands of emails. No. <laughs> and same with Twitter, um, yeah. at UX Podcast. Um, and we reply there, too. Yeah. And we are on Skype. We no. are on Skype. Nobody calls. No, we just get weird sales calls. <laughs> um, and the notes for this show are on UXPodcast.com. Right. You can find them all there. Excellent. Remember to keep moving. I almost said yours then, because I was wanting you to say <laughs> it, and you say yours first. So, But I can't say yours first, because then we just get you know, weird. Um, I'll see you on the other side. <laughs> <laughs>